The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome, everybody. I'm Diane Ray. I'm so glad you could check in and join me today for the show. Whether you're listening live or you catch me later on the podcast, welcome, all you people uh, spinning out there in the cosmos here. So today I'm excited about my interview and my conversation I'm going to have, you know, it, in my line of work, what I what I do, I get a lot of requests from people for interviews and people want to send me books to check out to possibly feature on unityonlineradio.org. And I love that. I mean, I love when, when people reach out, hey, you can find me. <laughs> I'm out there. I'm, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. You can find me. So I always like to hear what people have to say and give people a chance to share, you know, what their message is and see if it fits with what we're doing here at Unity. So recently I got an email from Unity Customer Service from speaker and author Duncan Kirkwood. And so I followed up with him, check it out and see what he had to say and find out what the message is. So we corresponded by email and he sent me a copy of his book. So I started reading it over and I checked out his website and I really wanted to welcome him on the show and help him share his message. So his book is called Rerouting Resilience Tools and Tactics. And in the book, Duncan shares his personal story, and he also offers some really great tools and strategies to develop resilience and really move towards accomplishing our goals. And I just thought, wow, this is so timely for what we're experiencing right now. His message is really really important and needs to be shared you know, especially with what's happening right now. So I'm glad that we could connect and I want to welcome Duncan to the show. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, where are you joining us from, Duncan? I am in Buffalo, New York. Oh, okay. So you're, you're East Coast and I'm here in San Diego and Unity's in Kansas City. So we're like, we're all over. We're national. <laughs> we're national right now. But I'm glad you could join us there in Buffalo, New York. So Duncan, I just want to introduce you to the Unity crowd. And reading over the book, you have a military background and you took a lot of what you learned as a U.S. Army National Guard Master Resilience Trainer and used it in the book and rerouting. So I just wanted you to tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to be doing what you're doing and your passion to help people become more resilient. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was in the National Guard, you know, one year, I think it was 2012, uh, more soldiers died from suicide than died in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so it was really like a flash moment. And so the military began training, like they they put an intentional push to train officers like myself to become MRTs, Master Resilience Trainers, so that we could go to different units and help soldiers to become more resilient to combat depression and veteran suicide. Um, It was a powerful training on resilience and it really left an an impact on me. But when I got out of the military, I started doing some professional, some self self-development work, it was, I realized that military training is very matter of fact, right? It's very like A, B, C, and then you get this result, right? 
And so the resilience training is, is like that as well, but it was really good, but it wasn't complete. And so I took a lot of themes from what we learned in that do these specific things and they'll make you more resilient. Uh, and I mixed those with some really esoteric, purpose-driven, in the clouds, earthy, metaphysical type of concepts uh, that the average person isn't really reading or isn't diving into. And I put it into a language that the everyday person could benefit from and apply it to their lives. And that's really, the, that was the genesis of me, you know, writing this book. Well, I really liked your presentation in the book, and, and I've read a lot of, of the I've read a lot of books, um, especially on, you know, self-development and these kinds of topics. And I really liked your presentation. You know, it's very easy to understand. You have a very conversational way about presenting the information. and But yet you're also encouraging people as they're reading the book to ask themselves the tough questions. And I think it's interesting how you kind of married, you know, the military background and the training that you had. Like you said, you know, usually it's in the military, do this, get this result, ABC, you know, just kind of toe the line and do what you're told. But yet you also brought in some other ideas from, you know, Eckhart Tolle and, and some of the other things that you were exploring in the self-development world and kind of put those two together. So I thought that was really interesting in in your presentation in the book. Now also in the bio or in your bio, you say you're a social justice and education advocate. And what does that work entail? What, what does that mean? So, you know, I've learned a long time ago um, that the education system largely is broken, right? It, it just is broken, especially in urban areas across the country. Um, but what's more, more disheartening is that in most places, it's broken on purpose, that the policies and the laws surrounding education systems are largely made to benefit adults at the detriment of children. And so I believe that access to high-quality education is a social justice issue, is a civil rights issue of our generation. And so making sure that children have access to high-quality schools to me, is the only way to break generational poverty. It's the only way to break generational curses and to give people an actual shot at this American dream. And so I've done a lot of work around passing local and statewide policies in a couple of different states around uh, increasing access uh, to high-quality schools, increasing accountability, uh, and then fighting for parents' rights to you know, be a part of the decision-making process and not just an afterthought, like, oh, here's the policy. Oh, let's, let's get the parents to, to, let's tell the parents about it. But to actually say, let's bring the parents in to help develop the policy and talk about the real needs of parents. So that's some of the work I do around educational equity and educational justice. No, that's great. It's so interesting. And I'm glad that you're doing that work. It's so important. Uh, my, my mother was a teacher her whole career. My sister's an assistant principal in Florida. And so I've heard like my whole life from from their point of view and the difficulty that they face with bureaucracy and, you know, having to deal with administration and things like that. And then also trying to keep the parents happy. And you're right. And things are broken. And now's the time to, to try to fix it. And, and there's good people on, on all on all fronts in that area, I think that really want to help the kids. Like I know my sister's super passionate about, you know, making sure people are heard and that everybody gets a quality education, but you're right. You know, things, things need to be done. So that's really important what you're doing and people can check you out online if they want to see what you're all about too. And it's duncankirkwood.com. 
to yep. check out your website. So that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about resilience because I, I really think this is so important and it's it's something that I, I try to work on myself. <laughs> you know, I can I can use uh, a lot of these lessons that you share. And the good thing that you, you come across in the book, the message is you say resilience is a skill and everyone can learn it. And that's such great news. I mean, some people I think are automatically prone to roll with the changes a little bit more than other people. But you say everyone can learn this. It's a skill. Yeah, so resilience, you know, isn't something that, that, you know, some are born with. Like, there's some research that says, like, there's a resilience gene, and, you know, you're either, born, you're either born with it or you're not, and there's this whole, no, resilience is a skill, and any person can learn to become resilient. And if you are already resilient, you can learn to be even more resilient. And the reason that that's important is because everybody has setbacks. Like, social media has fooled people into believing that some people have, like, these amazing, perfect lives and everything is great, new house, new marriage, great kids, everything is just amazing. But no, every single person has challenges and setbacks. There's no question about that. The difference is some people are, are able to overcome those challenges and setbacks. Some people are able to continue to grow and thrive through those challenges and setbacks. And some people are rocked and, and, and knocked you know, to the ground by their setbacks and they're not able to recover. And so what I'm hoping is that in this book, we really give people some skills so that as they develop setbacks, they're not rocked. And a lot of it is like personal work. That's another thing I tried to, I tried to make sure I highlighted in the book that, listen, I can give you the skills. I can explain these concepts and these, the, these thinking ideas and these thinking traps and these thinking patterns. And I can give you an aha moment where you never looked at it one way and now you were, you've been looking at it this one way and that's wrong. And now you see it the correct way. But you got to do the work, right? You have to do the work individually to, like, build yourself against the grain of society telling you that you should be in fear, that you should be insecure, that you're less than, that you don't have enough, that, you're, that your ego is totally dominating everything about you and you tie your value to things and people, like to come against that wave that society has built, that cage that they built around us is difficult, but you gotta do it, right? So you have to decide that that's, you want a life of joy and peace and purpose. And to have it, you can have it. There's no question you can have it, but you've gotta do the work to get it. So my book is really to first show people that there is a cage and then show give them the tools to get out, but they've gotta be willing to do the work. And that's why I try to, in the book, each chapter have a different exercise because I don't want it to be some just lofty, idealistic book. I want it to be something where people experience the, the material, where they have a feeling uh, while they're reading it so they can remember that feeling, whether that feeling is pushing back against your ego. Some people don't know what it's like when your ego tells you no. But in chapter two, you're going to learn what that feels like real clear. I got an exercise that I tell them in chapter two, and you are going to, for the first time, be able to say, wow, my ego is telling me I can't do this. And now you have to make, now you make a choice. Are you stronger than your ego or not? And in other chapters, we talk about thinking traps and, you know, we just, I try to make it so, make it so people will, will walk away with a feeling. Cause once you have a feeling or an epiphany, you can't go back to just not knowing you know what I mean? Right, right. Once the light is shown, you know, and you see things a different way, then yeah, you definitely can't go back. Well, let's delve into a little bit of chapter two, because I was going to ask you about that. Um, and I, I like a lot of the things that you brought up in that chapter, because you're really encouraging people to ask themselves who they are. And that's something that 
we we don't I don't think we people really do or if we do like you say as you, as you go through the chapter we're identifying with outwardly what we what we think we are what other people are are seeing like you know I, I have to I have to present this this sort of persona to people and it, and it's not true and especially on social media you know people are feeling the presence that they have to push out a certain idea of of what they are and and that's not what it is. So this is a really powerful part of the book to you know get people to work through some of these concepts. So when you're working with people because you do uh, you do have clients, right? Like you have people that you work with. How do you how do you approach this for someone who's never even thought about it? Right. So, you know, knowing who you are is challenging. And this was a personal challenge for me. The first time somebody asked me who I was when I, I was with one of my personal mentors, and they said, Duncan, who are you? Write down who, who you are. And I write down a list. You know, I, I go through my resume. I'm an activist, and, you know, I'm a black man, and you know what I mean? I'm all these things. And, uh, and then, you know, he's like, nope, try again. So I'm like, okay, I'm a son, and I'm a, you know, speaker. You know, and, I'm, and he's like, nope, try again. And I, and I get to a point, and I'm like, well, who am I? If I'm not these things, who am I? And he said, now we can, I can give you this list of books to read. Now that you have that question, I can give you some context, right? And I wanted people to have that moment where they realize that they are so much more than their titles and roles. And so for somebody who's just like never thought about this, never got into this self-help stuff or this metaphysical mindful stuff, I say, okay, listen, this is what we're going to do. Imagine I got a tree right here, big oak tree. I put my hand on the tree. You put your hand on this tree. You can feel like that this tree is alive, right? You, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a heartbeat, but you could just kind of feel the aliveness in this tree, right? I said, okay, so now take your hand off the tree. Let's get a piece of paper and write PhD on the paper and then staple it to the tree, okay? Have we changed that tree? Have we changed anything about the aliveness of that tree? No. So let's get the mayor out here. Let's put the mayor next to the tree and take a picture with the mayor and the tree with the PhD. Right now, let's get some red bottom shoes that cost $1,500. Put those at the bottom of the tree, right? Have, has anything about the aliveness of this tree changed? Let's go get some other little trees. Let's put the little trees around the big tree. Put your hand back on that tree. Has anything about the aliveness of that tree changed? No, of course not, right? So I say, now look at yourself. Do that with yourself. Does the fact that you didn't go to high school, I mean, you didn't finish high school and get your GED or you didn't get your high school diploma, does that change your aliveness? Does that change that thing that makes you special and unique and connected to God and the universe? Right? No, it doesn't. What about the other person who got the PhD? That's great. Congratulations. That's an incredible task to, to, to accomplish. But has it changed your the fundamental things that make you alive? No. All right, what about this person? You have no money. This person, you have lots of money. And I just kind of go through all these different ways that we look at ourselves and identify with things, even as a parent, right? You know, that's an important role, probably the most important role a person can have. But it doesn't change the aliveness in your body, the connection that you have to everything that is, ever was, and ever will be, right? So once I kind of walk them through that, people start to have, they, their eyes start to turn a little bit like, oh, I never thought of it like that. Because then once you, once they have that moment, I can start saying, okay, so you used to be an addict, right? We're not going to identify you as that no more. Today is the day you have to be, who are you right now? 
in this moment, who are you? Right? And again, they did like, well, Duncan, I don't know who I am. And I say every time I say great, because it's better to know that you don't know than to be thinking something that's totally wrong. And for so many people, they're walking around thinking that they're one thing or, or six things or whatever, and they're so wrong that it, it, it leads them to, to feel they'd be in a constant state of insecurity and a constant state of fear, right? So if you identify with your job as a boss and one of your employees says to you, you know, hey, I think you're doing a bad job or your leadership isn't great or whatever, you don't take that as a, as a criticism to grow you as a leader. You take it as a personal attack because you're identified, you're like tied to this title that you have. And so I really, in the book, I'm trying to get people to disidentify with things and titles and roles. Like those things are important. Have a great job, make lots of money, get lots of degrees. That stuff is awesome. But know that your value of, of, of a human, of an, an existence is so much more than all of that other stuff. Sorry, I know that was like a long answer. Right. <laughs> no, I was I was listening because I wanted to I wanted to hear your explanation on that because you're right. It's such an important concept to wrap your head around and and it takes time and it, it takes lifetimes. I mean, and I when I think that I know something and then an incident will come up where I'll react or I'll get angry, you know, or something like that because I'm identifying with all those other roles other than what I what I really am, my, my true essence as a person. So I'm always snapping myself back to try to remember that. And really the concept that you're describing is something that um, one of my favorite authors would call being the witness. Uh, Ram Dass uh, talked about that, an author that I, I read a lot of his stuff. And, and I love that idea of like kind of stepping out of, you know, a situation and how you think you are and just looking at it. And you talk about that in the book as well. So I, I know you know what I mean, being the witness, you know, looking yeah. at, at at that situation, but not but not identifying with it. And I think that's that's a lifelong long journey, right? But once you start becoming aware of, you know, of those those thoughts and feelings, then it starts to get a little bit easier. But you're right; it's so important. It's so important to do that. And when you start working with people too, you say one of the things that you talk to them about is gratitude and starting to recognize three things that they're grateful for every day. And that might sound like, oh, that's that's dumb. That's a dumb exercise or, <laughs> or you know, that's not important to do or I don't have anything I'm grateful for or something like that. But you break it down to where it can be really simple. And I think that's a great place to start, right? It's important to try to cultivate gratitude. Yeah, and that's why I made that the first chapter. You know, when I, when I was writing a book, I got guidance to try to put whatever the best theme, topic, most important thing, make it first. And I, I felt like this was so important because I want people to do it every day. I want them to identify these three good things every day. We call it hunt the good stuff. And we say hunt the good stuff, not name the good stuff, because sometimes you got to hunt for the good thing. You got to really dig and, and think through what has happened. And basically, we just ask people to identify three good things that have, has happened in the last you know, 24 hours. It sounds super simple. But what you do is, what it does is it stockpiles positive experiences when you bring them to the forefront of your mind, uh, and it combats that negativity bias. 
uh, that we all have. Like some people say it takes 11 positive things to overcome one negative or six positive things to overcome one negative. So different people have different numbers, but the point is we are more inclined to be affected by a negative situation than multiple positives. So we need to stockpile these great positive experiences and build the spirit of gratitude. And it's like, if you buy your, you know, I, I try to explain, I say, if you get your, your, your best friend a gift, you, you put a lot of thought into it, like a lot, a lot of thought, and you get them this gift for their birthday, and they're not grateful. They're like, oh, okay, thank you, and that's it. Their next birthday, you're not going to do that again, <laughs> right? You're not going to you're, you're yes. go above and beyond to, to, make, to make them happy with this thing, right? But if, you, if, you, if they're incredibly grateful, right, if they're just so excited about this thing that you spent so much time to give them, then the next year you'll be even more excited to do something bigger and better because you just want to see that joy and excitement. So it's like, that's kind of like us and the universe or us and God. People use different language around it. But it's like us, if we're grateful for everything that's good and we're excited about these little good things and these big good things, then more good things will happen because we will essentially be creating it with our positive energy in the world. And it sounds, like you said, it does sound real cheesy. like it, But it's I, I promise you, it works. It don't take but three minutes you to just think, okay, well, my son did the dishes, or my daughter did this, and the wife did this. All right, that was those were great things. Okay, boom, right back to my day. But just identifying those things just puts changes your energy, changes your focus, and then the more you do it, the more when you see something, you'll see it as a good thing and not just another thing in transit to wherever I'm trying to get to that day. Right. And, you know, I can see you trying to explain this to a bunch of guys that are in the army, in the military. I mean, was that hard? Was that hard to do? Like, were they rolling their eyes like, oh, check this guy out? You know, he's trying to give me the the self-help thing, you know? A little bit, but you know, in the military, they don't have a choice. So you don't got to ask. You know, when when you do normal training, you got to hope people are willing to participate. In the military, you just say, everybody, write, get a pen and start writing. You know what I mean? And then we're going right. to do it one by one and, and call it out. But, you know, no, soldiers, listen, a lot of people kind of think that um, soldiers are all like hoo hoo, high speed, kicking in doors, artillery, infantry, you know, that type of thing. But there are thousands of different types of soldiers who come from every walk of life. You know, the military is really just a microcosm of society. So we got people there who cook, who design clothes, who play the trumpet who, you know, do human resources, do finances, you know. So there's really this hodgepodge of individuals and types of individuals and types of roles. So everybody's not like the super high-speed, hardcore, you know, want to fight at the front line. There's a lot of people who are just like, kind of just, this is their job, you know what I mean? Instead of being a regular nurse, they're an army nurse. Instead of being a regular chef, they're an army chef, you know. And so those people really you know, they don't respond in that very hard-nosed way that you would think soldiers would always respond to. No, that's interesting that you that you share that, because I think you're right. A lot of us that, you know, I've never been around the military. You know, my, my family wasn't, or my father wasn't in the military or, or anything. At least when I was born, he was in the Army, you know, before I, I was around. <laughs> but, I mean, I didn't grow up in that lifestyle. So I think we do have a preconceived idea of what, what it's like and that everybody's kind of, you know, tough, hard nosed, but you're right. It is a microcosm of, of everybody and people, you know, doing different jobs and things like that. And 
and they have feelings and thinking about things too. And you shared a, a great kind of insight when we're talking about the gratitude exercise, how one of your team members was, was really suffering, uh, a, a member of your, of your group. And mm -hmm. you tried to reach out to him a little later and found out that he, he really was suicidal and wasn't feeling that he could be grateful for anything. So really kind of asking yourself the question, that question and people around you is a good way to take the temperature, right? Absolutely. It is an incredible way to just kind of check in with, check in with your friends, check in with your family. You might say, oh, this is corny, but you do it in two or three different groups and you'll quickly see that different people are in different mental spaces and someone might need support, but you wouldn't have not known it unless you took the time to do an exercise like this. Um, because it's the type of thing that's so simple that some people will just blow through, oh yeah, this, this, and this. But it's also so simple that other people, you could see them struggle with it and they shouldn't be. And that will be an indication that like they need some support, they need some help. And um, so, yeah. And especially now people, you know, are probably needing a lot of help and support right now. And I think sometimes the misconception of asking for help or showing any kind of weakness or, vul or vulnerability is a negative. And, and I don't think that's true at all. I think, you know, we all have to, we're all feeling this, you know, we're all in this life together right now at this moment and we have to look around and and look out for each other so we're going to take a short break uh, in about two minutes and we are doing this live if you happen to be listening and you have a question for duncan or just want to jump in the conversation 816-251-3555 is the number to join us and duncan the book is available pretty much everywhere right i saw you were on amazon rerouting resilience tools and tactics is it available on your website as well yes they can go to my website duncankirkwood.com and if they get it from my website I, i'm happy to sign it and add a bookmark um for them um as well i got like a nice little bag for you know like a whole little setup going on so if you want to get it from the website that's i can do more to make it personal for you they get then they get other stuff like swag right we call it swag <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> swag stuff we all get you know people love to get the little added bonus uh extra free things so people can check that out and go to duncan's website and also you have people that um work with you one-on-one -on -one, right so you're also available for that for sessions and for training and for corporate speaking and that kind of thing yeah absolutely um you know because we're kind of all virtual now i'm doing i'm doing a lot oh, of these yeah. trainings virtually but it's actually been you know a, a good thing in a way. I mean, obviously the, the pandemic has been a travesty, but doing the training, it's expanded the reach. So people are looking for virtual trainers. So now I can train out in Seattle or out in San Diego, out in Texas, out you know, without having to physically travel. Right. Well, hold on. We're going to come back, take a short break here, and we will chat some more with Duncan about his book, and some of the concepts that he shares here, rerouting, resilience tools and tactics. And we'll be right back. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Diane Ray. 
just doing it here in the, in the studio in San Diego. I'm just laughing because I have uh, people hammering and sawing and cutting trees like right outside my window as I'm trying to do a live radio show here, people. Come on. I'm making magic here. Stop it. So hopefully uh, the noise will dissipate. <laughs> we can continue our conversation here. Oh, we're having a great conversation with Duncan Kirkwood talking about his book, Rerouting Resilience Tools and Tactics. And Duncan in the book shares uh, some of his personal story, working with people in the military, uh, using some of these resilient strategies and bringing it down to earth for the rest of us here in real life. And it's it's great, a lot of the exercises that he offers. It's really experiential. And, and we talked about this a little bit in the first segment that you want people to kind of write stuff down and, and really think about it and take the steps because you really have to do the work, right? Like you were saying, if you want, if you really want the change, you've got to open your mind and be a little more aware and, and do something, right? So taking the steps is probably the most important piece in the beginning, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just like with, with this book is like with anything else in life, you're going to get out of it what you're willing to put in. Um, so if you're willing to like try these exercises and a couple of them are challenging, um, because they are pushing the limits of how you see yourself in the world. They're pushing you out of, you know, that comfort zone, that unconscious mechanical nature that we all have. Um, and it's tough. You got some people, I'm 35, so I got 35 years of programming. Some people got 40, 50, 20, however Old you are, you got a lot of years of programming that you're trying to undo when you start uh, trying to build your consciousness and, and grow your mind. Uh, so it can be challenging sometimes. But just being willing to try is the major first step, right? Just being willing to disrupt this kind of pattern we have, you know. And I try to just find different ways all through the book to, like, get people to see it, right? Because people are resisting. It's like this automatic response that when somebody pushes you on the, the way you see something or the way you think, you instantly get defensive. So I try to have exercises and stories that will help them to understand, like, oh, okay, that maybe so, you know, and just open their mind just a little bit to let a little knowledge and universal truth come through. Uh, and then they can kind of start down a deeper path. Hopefully this book sparks them to go on a deeper path of self-discovery. I think it will. If people really pick up the book, have an open mind and just be willing to take a few steps, think of things in a different way, and maybe these exercises will spark them to do that, then, you know, they can they can be on their way. But you make a big point that a lot of the or a good point in the book that a lot of the resistance that people will feel is fear and that we operate most of the time out of fear. Our ego does. And how did you come to that, you know, to that realization and that conclusion? I mean, you've, you must've felt a lot of fear, you know, over the, over the years being in the military. I don't know if you were stationed anywhere, but I'd, I'd be scared <laughs> in the military. You know, you know, what's funny first. So first I was in the chemical unit, so we did primarily disaster relief, but you know, when I'm talking about fear, it's, it's, it's not danger, right? So danger right. and fear are different. You know what I mean? In the military, some soldiers, they're in real danger, right? And they're they're doing a serious job, right? But an average person, police officers, firemen, like, you know, nurses right now during the pandemic, frontline workers, right? So there are some people who are in danger. 
But fear is a construct of the mind. And it's the it's how the ego lives. Um, the ego, you know, operates almost exclusively out of fear. If you look up ego, part of the definition is it's it finds its place in comparison to other. It finds itself in comparison to others. That's that's part of the definition of your ego that it needs to compare itself to something in order to find its place uh, as a self. And so if that's how you're operating, where you're defining yourself based on other people's position and your comparison to them, you will always be in a place of lack and a place of insecurity and a place of fear. Fear you're going to fail. Fear you're going to be embarrassed. Fear you're not going to make it or you're not good enough or you're not smart enough. Fear that your ex won't, your, your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife won't love you the way that you want to be loved, right? You're, if you're always operating out of this state of fear that you're not even really aware of because you're kind of on autopilot, it, it limits how high you can fly. It limits how far you can go in life. And it's, it's like the hardest battle there is to have uh, is to overcome your own fear and overcome your own ego. Um, because once you do, there's like this freedom and this liberation. Like when you're no longer afraid of like failure or embarrassment or not making it or whatever that, that thing is for you, when you let that go, all of a sudden your energy just pulsates uh, and you try new things and you go for things, you work harder, you find your purpose, you, you know, especially now, and I don't want to get, I don't want to ramble, but like now in 2020, yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but you could literally make your career out of any desire that you have. Like now, there used to be like these rules for success, right? You had to go to high school and you go work in a factory, or maybe you're fortunate, you go to college, then you get a good job. Then it was like, go to college, then get a master's, then get a good job, you know? And there was like this path. Now those rules are gone. You know, there's like a world tag championship. You know, like when kids play tag with each other, there's like an entire industry now based off this game of tag where they travel, these athletes travel around the world playing tag filling up arenas of announcers and fans and security. Like, it's a whole industry, the tag industry, right? It's, like, crazy that that's people's job, to go play tag, right? And then, like, with the video game, Dowdy have the video... You know, it's just, like, now you can follow your passion. You can be a singer. You can, you know, if you're willing to work hard, you can be successful. But you got to over... You have to step over that line of, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. That person's better. You got to step past that. You know, I had some doubt when I wrote this book. I was like, I'm not an author. You know, I was always a pretty good speaker, but, you know, I'm not an author to be saying I'm writing a book on metaphysics to, to stand next to P.D. Ospensky or James Redfield's books. You know, like, that's, I, I had a moment, I had some moments where I'm like, man, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm qualified to, to put this into the universe, right? But you got to decide that you are not going to let fear stop you. Right? You can't have courage without a little fear. So you got to have that fear, own it, dominate it, acknowledge it, and then move on and continue moving towards your goal. And I'm hoping that this book will give people that oomph that they need to overcome to take that first step. Because when, you, when you're getting ready to start, a lot of people are afraid because they don't know how they're going to get to step 15 of success. So they don't take step one and two. They just stay stuck at zero and thinking about it, dreaming about it, praying about it, but they don't take step one and two because they just really don't in their heart really believe that it could be, they could get to step 15. 
But what I'm trying to help people understand is if you take step one and two, the view changes. What you can see from the second step is totally different than what you were looking at at the first step. But you won't know that until you get to step two. So if, you're, if your goal is to you know, lose 50 pounds, right, you might be thinking, man, this sounds good, but I don't know if I could do it. Well, once you take step one and join a gym, then you take, then all of a sudden you find out, hey, there's a group of people doing Zumba here. I could join them. You take step two, you sign up for the Zumba class. You take step three, you actually show up. Now you meet a network of people trying to do the same thing you're doing. And all of a sudden, you have step three and four with a new network of friends and supports and opportunities and diet information. And you're moving so much closer to your goal. But you could have never seen that from the step where you're at home just watching a commercial and saying, ah, maybe next time. So it's really this... Right. You know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I'm agreeing with you. Like I'm sitting here shaking my head because it, it's so true how the fear will hold people back from taking that very important first step, no, no matter how small. And just in talking to some of the people around me, like I mentioned at the start of the show, you know, I've got several friends that have lost jobs due to COVID. You know, one was with a company for 19 years. They, they're not going to bring her back. They're actually keeping someone with less experience that's cheaper for cheaper. You know, those things are going to happen. And her sense of self and worth is at rock bottom right now. She doesn't think she can take that first step. And then just today, before I got on the air here with you, another friend just found out that her furlough has now become a layoff. And so I think it's so important what you're saying for people to realize that you know, you're you're trying to avoid the uncomfortable experiences of, well, am I going to be judged? Is it going to fail? All those things that are part of the human experience that, well, yeah, it, that those things might happen. You know, it it might, and people might think things, and they might judge you, but you have to over overcome that, you know, and know that, don't let the fear hold you back from taking that important first step. You know, yeah, the just, small mustard seed like you're talking about. Yeah, and just to talk about your friends, for example, right? So they've had this traumatic experience. They've lost a job that they've worked for so long. They're so good at. And so now they've got to try to figure out what's next, right? But right. here's the great thing. They can figure out what's next, right? They have value. They can follow their dreams, right? You know how some people, you, you hear these stories like, man, getting fired was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Or I left corporate America to do this or do that, right? This can be, you have to choose, is this moment going to rock you and break you? Or is, you know what, this is my time where I'm going to start that thing that I always wanted to start, and I'm going to put everything I've got into it. Because it's hard to put everything you got into something when you're parenting, when you're working a nine-to-five, you know, you're, you're living your life, swim class, gymnastics for the kids. But now in this COVID moment, you could put everything you have into one thing that's for you. And so what I'm telling people right now, because right now a lot of people are going through that. They're losing jobs. They're getting cut back. They're on unemployment. It's just so much difficulty right now in the world. And people, you know, the resilient people are going to come out of this actually stronger. Whereas some folks are going to come out and they will have lost a piece of their self. But you're, you're, you're not your job, right? You are not your title or how much money you make. You know, those things are important, but you have more value. You can do another job. You can have another career. You can have another dream. That's why I titled the book Rerouting. I tell people, live your life like a GPS. When you program a destination in your GPS, if there's a road that's blocked, if you make a wrong turn, 
if there's traffic you run into, whatever happens, the GPS doesn't break down. It doesn't start crying. It don't get on social media. It just says rerouting. It just says reroute. And as long as you're willing to keep moving forward, it's going to continue to chart a path for you to be successful. You know, I was on LinkedIn. There was this guy on LinkedIn and um, he had lost his job and he was really upset. He said, you know what? He actually typed it. You know what? Screw it. I lost my job. I'm not going to pretend like everything's okay. And he listed his skills in his resume and said, if you know someone hiring for somebody with these skills, let me know. Post got shared like a thousand times and he had like 50 job offers making the same, like in around the run he was making and even more. All because he just owned his truth. Like, it's okay that you got laid off. You're not less of a person, less of a father or a husband because you, you, you got laid off or furloughed. Like, no, this is a national pandemic. Life is happening. This is where I am. Now I'm going to chart a course to move forward. But you got to make that decision. See, that's the thing. I can't make that decision for other people. So in the book, I try to give them ways to get out of these thinking traps that keep people from making a decision. So I've got like a whole chapter on avoiding thinking traps um, and, and hopes that people will understand that like something has happened. And before I just react to it, I get to think about how I want to react, how I feel, and then I can react. See, robots, when you just program something, it just does it, right? You program your six of your alarms for 7 o'clock, 7.15, 7.20, et cetera. When it hits those times, boom, it's programmed to start beeping. So that's how we respond a lot, right? Something happens, and we have a program response. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you give them the finger, right? Something happens, and you just have a <laughs> program response, right? But there's something that happens in the middle where something happens, we think about it, even if we're not paying attention or even if it's unconscious, we have a choice on how we're going to respond to it. And that piece right there is the difference between somebody who is binge watching Netflix, falling into depression, and somebody who is taking an opportunity to live out their dreams, unafraid of failure at any space. Uh, and so that is what I'm trying to get people into that. Hey, listen, I'm not going to just let life happen and I'm just a product of whatever happens in life. I can't control life. I could just control how I react to it, right? Wrong. We dictate our reality. We are the ones that create the reality around us. Uh, and I think that that's just such an important thing for people to understand that you are actually the main character in your life's movie. You're the main character. You're the author. You're the illustrator. You're the, the sound guy, right? You are in control of your reality. Uh, so that's why when people say, oh, relationship is 50-50, wrong. The relationship is 100% your responsibility. You are responsible for your happiness. And what you do affects everything around you. So I know that was like a long answer. I'm a long right. speaker. No, speak I'm like, let, let me go. <laughs> that's great. I'm like, let me go, Duncan. Speak the truth. No, I love that because you're absolutely right. And so many people will fall into the trap of playing the victim and yeah, horrible things happen. And maybe you are a victim of, you know, a horrible situation. And I, I look at the way some other people, some people handle resilience and other people that don't like, um, I, like I've been in radio for a long time since I was 19 years old and, it, and it's really not the most secure position or job choice that you can make in your life, you know? And so as I've gone through my career, yeah, I've been fired a couple times. I've gotten the boot. And I think that because I've had to face that so many times and I've had to pivot that 
it's taught me that, you know, taught me to be a little more resilient. And then I see people that have had, maybe they've been complacent. They've had the same job for a long time, just kind of chugging along and it's all great. Then when the rugs pulled out from under and they don't have that job anymore because they identified so much with themselves as, as being in that position that it's very difficult, but you can make that shift. Like, you know, horrible things have happened. And then sometimes the, the door will open and you'll look back and say, wow, that really was a better situation. You know, once I went through that, now I'm in a better place. You know, things can change, but you have to not, not be just the reactor to a situation, but taking that step. And I, I love that. So I was letting you go. <laughs> I like I liked what you what you had to say about that. So I did want to get um, your opinion on uh, an exercise that you shared in the book, and I really like this one because I've had a hard time with it. So you know, there's so much division in the world right now. People have strong views on other people that they hate or dislike immensely. You know, and we've had people like, well, I'm taking you off my Facebook page if you support so-and-so, you know, things like that, where, you know, there's a lot of those kind of really strong people with strong opinions. And I just wanted to talk about that, like dealing with people that you may have a strong dislike to. And you shared a exercise in the book where, you know, you encourage people to call someone that they may have had a disagreement with and say, look, I'm sorry how I reacted in that situation. And I apologize. And I thought, Oh, wow, can I really do this? So, so I was thinking of people in my own life that I've had that, that situation happen. And actually I did do that exercise a few years ago with a family member that we had a, a really strong reaction over the holidays. I call it the Christmas blowout of 2013. And after, after that argument, I called the family member and I go, look, you have views about me. I have views about you. Let's talk about it. And I shut my mouth and I listened even as difficult as that was. And we were able to move forward. You know, we were able to move past that. So mm -hmm. I just wanted you to share your thoughts on that. You know, people that may have wronged you in some way or that you have a strong dislike for, you know, how do, how do you handle that? So the reason I put this exercise in the book was for two, it was a couple different reasons. One, I wanted people to understand that you identify with those negative feelings, right? So you and such somebody had a blowout. You, whenever that person's name is brought up, you, your ego says, I don't like that person. Danger, danger. I don't like them. Stay away, right? Sometimes we don't even like, we don't even know why we don't like people no more. It's been so many years, you don't even know why, but your ego has decided that this is how I identify in this situation, right? So to call someone and apologize and to, to listen to them means that you are disidentifying from those negative emotions. And it means that you are overcoming your ego. Those are two very difficult things to do. Okay? Those are not like easy, lightweight, this is a fun activity. Those are very difficult. So when people first read this, that feeling they get that says, we ain't doing it, that's your ego. And, and for the first time for a lot of people, they will feel what it's like for your ego to tell you that you're not doing something, right? And so as soon as they read it, the ego says, nope, not, we ain't doing that. And then boom, that, that, so that's a feeling that you're gonna feel and you're gonna stay, it's gonna stay with you. So the next time that that happens, your ego says, we're gonna do this, or we're not gonna do this. You'll remember that feeling like, oh no, that's just my ego. I don't really believe that. I can, I can, yeah, we can do this, right? So actually doing the exercise isn't about like, let's just all kumbaya and make peace with all my friends and stuff. The, the exercise is, can you be stronger than your ego, right? Because it doesn't, like if I said right now, tell me that you're, that you're sorry, apologize to me. 
It's a, you're like, oh, sorry, Duncan, no problem. If that was the exercise, no problem, right? But if I say call that person who you had the Christmas blow up with and say you're sorry to them and listen to them, instantly there's like this energy, but it's the same words. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right? <laughs> the only difference is how you identify with yourself in that situation. So to be able to do that is like this incredibly difficult feat. But if you can do it, you will start a path where you're like, you're going to grow exponentially, right? If you can feel that feeling where it's like, but I was right, but they was wrong and, and say, you know what? It don't cost me nothing to be good to people. It doesn't cost me nothing to be kind and, and give grace and mercy when somebody else is wrong. Uh, it doesn't cost me nothing. The only thing it costs you is your ego having power over you. And so if you're able to do it, because my best friend couldn't do it. She was stuck on chapter two for about four or five weeks because she could not do it. She just couldn't bring herself to, to make that call to someone, right? And so I understand it's difficult, but if, if people read the book and they just do it, every single person, everyone who has done it has given me feedback that it was one of the greatest things they've done, right? Number one, they felt good about themselves. They felt better about who they were. And it's not about the other person. This is about you being strong enough to overcome your ego and disidentify from that pain of that situation. So they felt better. And then subsequently, they took a negative space and turned it into positive energy, which took weight off of their shoulders. So it's an incredible exercise, but it's tough. You know what I mean? And so I, it I, is. I applaud people who try. You know, the whole point is, you know, to try. You're not going to get everything right the first try, but you just, the fact that you're willing to try means you're willing to grow. Right. Absolutely. I hope people that are listening, you know, think about that. I mean, when I, when I did make that call, uh, you're right. Like our, our, my relationship with that person now, you know, this was a few years ago, this happened and it's a lot better. I mean, things have, things have improved. I mean, but that's not to say I'm, I'm such the perfect person that that was the, that's the only person that I could make that call. Like there's another person now, you know, that I haven't talked to in years that I could make that call. So you, you prompted me to think about that. So I'm going to think much, about that. How much more time do we have on this show? We, we have about five minutes. Are you so on I'm not going to make the right call now. now. Or are you on the computer? <laughs> no, I'm on the computer. All right. So I challenge you to go ahead and text that person that you just thought of and tell them that you apologize for the situation and you never meant to hurt them while we're talking right now. I'm putting you on the spot on your own show. <laughs> Wait, let me think about it. Uh -uh, April, think about Actually, it. That's your ego is saying I got to think. There's no it out. Is. You, there is. I don't we're even live. Know if I have we are live right number. now. You got no out. You got to do it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, Duncan. I don't know if I can do it. Ah, there we it. go. Right. So, but, <laughs> yeah, but the, point, I I make, the point I'm trying to make is even resilient people like you, even everybody can learn to grow a little bit and be more resilient and more present. I can learn. And, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm looking right now to see if I even have this person's phone number, and I I don't. I don't. But you know what I could do is I can find them on social media because I know that I know they're on social. So I'd have to go on my Facebook and do it. Oh, no, okay. I don't shoot. Okay. But you've challenged me, so I, I'm going to take you up on it. Okay. The, the, other, the other person that I'm having that issue with, I'll, I'll overcome it. Because you're right, it is my ego, and you know maybe enough time has passed that I can get past what the anger that I'm holding on to. But I have to tell you, the resistance that I felt when you just challenged me to do it, <laughs> that was real. 
<laughs> that was my ego saying, no way, I'm not doing this live on, on the air. Oh, well, that's I, so funny. I appreciate that honesty and, and your vulnerability to share that. And that's really what I, I want people to have that feeling where they experience this material. Because again, one of the, not problems, but one of the challenges with like Eckhart Tolle, James Redfield, um, Nikolai Machiavelli, all these folks, is so in the clouds and it's so super phil philosophical that like a normal person who's working every day, who's a parent, who's living their life, you know, working a job, they are not gonna get into Rene Descartes. You know what I mean? Like, and right. so I wanted it to be something that you could understand, but that you would have an experience with that you would be like, man, you would tell your friend, like, you need to read this right here. This is, it changes you when you have, once you have that feeling and you recognize it, you can, like you said earlier, be the witness. I say be the watcher, whatever, but to say, hey, I'm having a feeling. I, and to, to, to recognize that you're having a feeling, good, bad, or indifferent, so I'm having a feel. I'm really happy. I'm really sad. Just to recognize that you're having a feeling means that you and that feeling are separate things, right? Most people right. go through life as if they are their feeling. Now, you talk about people arguing on social media about their political views. That's when people believe they are their opinion. So if you disagree with my opinion, you're actually saying I, my value as a person is less than, right? And so that's why it gets so, they're so, so it's so divisive because they're saying, Oh, you support X, Y, and Z? Oh, I can't be friends with you because I am a blah, blah, blah. Right? They're, that's like they're right. only as if that's their being. And it's not. It's not at all. Right? And so that is some of the, those are some of the themes that I try to talk and flesh out in the book. Well, it's been so awesome to talk with you. Our, our time is just about up, unfortunately. But, you know, hey, you got me thinking and you know, I'll, I'll follow up on it. I'll let you know how that conversation goes because you do encourage people to reach out and, and get in touch with you. And, you know, I have to, I have to take my own medicine too, just like we're telling other people. So, <laughs> so I will do it, but I'm so glad you reached out to me and that I could share your work with unityonlineradio.org listeners and people can get this show on podcasts later. I hope they do and spread the word. So Duncan, I'm going to send people to your website, duncankirkwood.com, and to also uh, pick up the book, Rerouting Resilience Tools and Tactics. And thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.